0: Listening to the Red Sea Podcast. Red Sox fans have long to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's in the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. Ortiz. Featuring Keaton DeRosher and Bob Osgood.
1: Sale winds. He fires. 28! Welcome back to the Red Sea Podcast. This is your host Jake Devereaux. Today I am joined by Keaton DeRocher and Bob Osgood for episode three hundred. Hey, woo, woo! yeah. Um, I wish I I had something special planned here for three hundred, but um, we just have so much baseball to talk about today. So we're gonna we're gonna celebrate in our own way by getting into the nitty gritty of what this roster means, um, and what it needs, I should say. Um, you can always email us red podcast at gmail.com as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a pretty big deal guys. Milestone 300. Um, I feel like a lot of podcasts don't get to 300. Um, uh, that's very many years. I want to say this is like the eighth or ninth year or something like that, that we've been doing this show. Um, So I want to thank you guys for making this show with me and being there and, you know, making it fun. And then to all of our listeners who have been supporting us along the way, whether you jumped in at episode one when we were all the way back at Baseball Prospectus, or if you jumped in, uh, you know, in the last 50 episodes or whenever. Uh, So thanks, guys. How, How does 300 feel for you?
2: Feels great. That was deep, Keaton. Yeah. Keaton does 200 of the 300 episodes. It just feels <laughs> great. That's, yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I've been here for like the last 50 or so after, you know, the countless others that Shelly and I did with the On Deck pod. And I'm just appreciative of you guys for including me here and having a platform and a chance to talk about the Red Sox isn't something that I take for granted and... You know, that's at least 300 hours, Jake, that you've been talking about the Red Sox. So that's no small feat. And Keaton, you as well, been here for a long time. So cheers to all of this. Sounds like Bob also thinks it's great.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I would like, uh, I wish that there was somewhere between all the podcasts that I've appeared on over the years where somebody could make like a, uh, what do you call those? Like a, a super cut of... All of the times that I've talked about Rick Porcello, and I bet there would be at least 30 hours of Rick Porcello talk. So I would, uh,
0: I was there for he a lot tops of those. any other You name. are correct.
1: I think he tops every
0: other name. Would you say Keaton? I would. Yeah. Yeah. Followed by uh, Scooter Jeanette in a close second. (laughs) Yeah, right. Uh, (laughs) Had to get the scooter reference in on number 300.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, this is the first time that I've been on in like over a month, which is kind of weird. I don't usually take a break from this show, but, uh, you know, life got in the way. Um, So I haven't been on since the Red Sox hired Craig Breslow. Um, So... I know you guys already did an episode, shared your thoughts on Craig Breslow, but I just want to kind of give my two cents before we dive into what we're going to be talking about today on the show. I like the hiring. I'm excited about it. Um, I'm really excited not to have to mention Bloom's name ever again. Um, And you know what? I love the idea of bringing in a former player. I'm impressed by what he did in Chicago. Um, with the pitching, I've heard a little bit on different podcasts about how he approaches uh, pitching, and yeah, I'm excited about it. I'm just excited, like not to be thinking about the general manager or CBO or whatever he's called, chief baseball officer, um, as an obstacle to this team's success. I'm I'm finally feeling like full of hope about it, so that is a good thing. How are you guys reacting to uh, Craig Breslow? Any uh, any additional thoughts in the last couple of months or last month or so since you guys did your first takes on him?
0: I think it's great.
2: Um, I just generally, you know, it, it's hard to continue to have any thoughts on this until we see anything. I feel like he is going to be aggressive. I feel like he is going to... Attack pitching both over the next couple of months, but also behind the scenes, um, you know, trying to get the most out of the players that are already in the system that don't get traded this off season. So it's not just the moves that he's gonna make, but also you know what he can do with the pitchers that are here, um, and just kind of the more I've looked into what's happened in Chicago and where they're at and the spot that they're in pitching wise and developing prospects. It's just, it's been missing for two decades. (laughs) You know, you can say maybe Clay Buckholtz, but going back to Lester and, you know, Bayo is one that is, you know, possibility here that we can see be a success story. But other than that, we're going back two decades and we're talking about two names. And, um, yeah, I'm just I'm excited to hopefully not have to keep throwing money at the problem, um, and you know, throw money at different problems in the future years.
1: Yeah, two good. things. Oh, go ahead, Keaton.
0: Well, I was just curious about Bob's thoughts on Prezo's medicals, <laughs> and then the second right. thing was on that list of like homegrown Red Sox pitchers is Justin Masterson the like the third name? Like is it Lester Buckholz and Masterson? Probably. So
2: he had Peter Gamman one good year. Peter Gammons tweeted this morning at three fifty eight AM and there is Craig Breslow's medical background.
0: Yeah, so <laughs> what'd you think? Were you impressed? Were you feel good feeling good? <laughs> you feel better about the hiring after that?
2: <laughs> a lot better. Especially that it's in Peter Gammon's hands for whatever reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fifty two quote tweets. Don't don't you like the idea of
1: the like, Peter Gammons in like a full doctor's like a a white uh, coat like a lab coat <laughs> at like three a.m. wearing his slippers just like checking out X-rays and MRIs and shit. That's and all not, he's wearing
0: is not, a lab coat,
1: <laughs> not knowing what to make of it. Just,
0: just a lab coat at four a.m. and can you cough for me, please? Balls
1: hanging down to his knee, just <laughs> drinking like cough syrup. Oh, man. This this has already He's gone the, off the rails. So this is good. The greatest
2: account historically. <laughs> 10% of it's valuable information. 20% of it is like the wrong link to go <laughs> along with the headline. He's the other legend. half are just a collection of letters and numbers that <laughs> don't actually add up to anything.
1: It's a cipher. If you actually like figured it out, though, it'd somehow be like... You know, the answers to all the questions in the universe, I feel like.
0: Dude's playing 6D chess over here.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, let's get back to Breslow here for a second before we put a bow on this. One of the things that I think I noticed uh, about the Breslow effect already was when the Rule 5 decisions were made, essentially who who the team was going to protect. They only chose to protect... um Luis Perales and Wickelman Gonzalez, and I thought that that was a little bit telling, too, because one of the names they left off was Shane Drohan. And as we know, Shane Drohan, his stuff is not big stuff at all. In fact, it runs pretty counter to the way that Craig Breslow says he approaches pitching with, you know, starting off the fastball and, you know, going from there. Um, So, you know, I think we might have already seen the first kind of taste of his preferences with that initial move of leaving Drohan unprotected.
2: Yeah, and and we continued to put Drohan into that mix, but Drohan got called up to AAA on May 18th, and if you just isolate the AAA numbers, they weren't very good. A lot of blowups, a lot of home runs, and then you mix in what you're talking about with the, the stuff and I think that we might have got clouded a little bit by what he did at double a and um yeah you know about seven or eight outings that were like five or six runs with multiple home runs and it shouldn't have been as shocking as it was when I first saw it I was surprised and then I looked into it more and kind of what you just said there Jake as well and it he might get plucked but i don't it, it's not as certainly not as egregious as you know thad ward yeah i know, had to like he guess on, he he, he does needed, get but, plucked but yeah
1: yeah um all right let's get to the meat of the show on today's show we're going to be doing a deep dive into the free agent and trade market at starting pitcher second base and right-handed power hitting outfielder in dh those are the three spots that have really been mentioned the most when it comes to the Red Sox. Um, There's only been a few moves so far in the market. It's been relatively slow. Um, Most of the moves have been on the pitching side, but most of the big names are still there. Otani hasn't signed. Yamamoto hasn't signed. The names that are off the board for the Red Sox, though, are some pretty big ones at the top for the pitching side. Aaron Nola signed a seven-year, $172 million deal to return to Uh, The Phillies, Sonny Gray signed a three-year, $75 million deal to go to the Cardinals. Um, Kenta Maeda, two years, $24 million to go to the Detroit Tigers for some reason. Um, Lance Lynn, one year, $10 million to the Cardinals. And Kyle Gibson, one year, $12 million also to the Cardinals. So the Cardinals have been really, really active here. Uh, those names are off the board. Obviously Nolas a guy that we talked about quite a bit. Grey was somebody who was interesting. I really liked Kenta Um uh, let's start with you uh Keaton. Any thoughts on the guys that are already off the board? You know, any of these names really bum you out or you're still feeling pretty optimistic?
0: Yeah, I'm not sure about bummed out yet. Nola that feels pretty <laughs> Uh, I know he was one of the ones that I had on my target list, but also I, I wasn't super confident in that. And the deal that he signed is pretty, pretty all right deal. There, Sonny Gray is the one that kind of—I'm really surprised that 34-year-old Sonny Gray got a three-year, 75 million dollar deal, and that makes me a little hesitant for the rest of the pitchers that follow. That is—that might throw kind of a wrench into some of the things that we we're maybe hoping for coming this off season. I guess I'm kind of interested to see what the next deal or two is that follows after that. That seemed like uh, expensive.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm curious. Any of you guys remember what his prediction was for a contract um, on like fan graphs or anything like that? I don't remember what his prediction was and how much higher that was than than what was predicted um for the market it, it didn't seem totally off base to me um considering kind of how well he pitched last year but i also agree with you keaton like i wouldn't feel super comfortable uh with giving him that deal
2: the uh and, and i'm sorry i cut out for a minute if you ask me anything but gray um was three for 78 was ben clemens's fan graphs estimate and uh, like average and median were around three years 65 to 70 so i don't think it was that far off uh, at least for fangraphs
0: yeah. spot track had a three
2: for 60 okay so maybe a little more per year
0: i think they're given the age i mean i know the pitching is as the age goes, is a bit relative, but I just feel like he's had a really volatile career, like he hasn't always been a stud, and I feel like that it's kind of the money where you feel it's you're spending on someone who's a little bit more reliable.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's fair to
0: to say.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was disappointed with Nola. I shouldn't be surprised though with Dombrowski just coming out of the gate, firing and getting his guy, because that's just what he does, and we probably, you know, should have seen that as more of a possibility. You know, it was just, what, like, day two of free agency. It's like, yep, Nola's coming back seven years. Whoa. Right? And, you know, that was probably anticipated that he was going to get six, but it's a reminder that this is what they're going to have to do if they're going to go out and sign one of these free agent names that are left, they're going to have to give an extra year or they're going to have to give $5 million per year more than what we're seeing in these estimates. Because the last couple of years, if you remember, it's like we see these numbers pop up. And we're like, whoa, I didn't see him getting that. And Team X was aggressive here. And then everybody's gone. So if they're going to go the free agent route, they're going to have to be aggressive with somebody.
1: Yeah, and I'm totally okay with being aggressive uh with with somebody especially if you like him. I think like that's clearly what you have to do and the way that Dombrowski got his guy was, you know, giving him an extra year and some added security and if you're going to do it, I mean, you want to do it with a pitcher who's durable and Aaron Nola certainly has been. So, I think that's a big big one to come off the board. Not quite as, as bummed out about um Sunny Gray. I don't care at all about Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson, so that's fine. But Kenta Maeda uh, is one who I was kind of eyeing as a back-end option. He was pretty good last year in limited time, so a little bit bummed out about that. But there's still plenty of pitchers um, out there on the market for the Red Sox. And so what I did was I separated the pitchers out into what I thought were tiers, um, kind of where these guys should be grouped. Um, and let's go ahead and go through some of those. I included not only pitchers who are free agents, but guys who have been clearly talked about um, as being available this winter. So tier one, I had Yamamoto, Nola, who's gone, um, and then Jordan Montgomery and Corbin Burns in that first tier. Tier two, I have uh, Tyler Glass now uh, as a trade candidate, Blake Snell. Um, Dylan Cease is a trade candidate. Tr- Shane Bieber is a trade candidate. Tier three, I have uh, Shoda in Maga in Maga, I should say. Um Kenta Maeda, I had there, uh, Marcus Stroman, Lucas Giolito, Tyler Molly, and Eduardo Rodriguez. And then tier four, I had Michael Waka, Michael Lorenzen, Hunjin Ryu, James Paxton, and Sean Manaya and I should mention, I I also had Sunny Gray in in tier two. Um, so Bob, let's start with you. Um, first of all, do you agree with how I have these tiers set up with these pitchers?
2: Mostly, yeah. Um, I think you can make an argument that Glassnow and Snell are in tier one, but I think that I know why you have them just for um. Would you say that GlassNow and Snell are in tier two because of just risk and lower innings um counts historically from those other guys?
1: One hundred percent. If you put okay. it just on ability, yeah. Glassnow and, and Snell are, are tier one guys, but the innings just don't match up.
2: Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense. Um below that, it's like I just can't get on board with Giolito in tier three because he was so damn terrible last year and he was so terrible the other year i don't know what is it two three years ago where he it's just his volatility yeah 490 era in 2022 and then 488 era in 2023 and he got traded for and then he was part of that mass release that happened from anaheim right and in the second half, Giolito's ERA was six forty six with a one forty seven whip. <laughs> like last sixty, last thirty, they were all over six, over seven. And I don't know. I just like I would put Luis Severino and Lucas Giolito in the same category. I think they're the about the same age, they've had the same level of fall off, and I just would kind of put them together in tier four. Um so that's the. Uh, other than that, looks good. I just wanted to take the opportunity to dump on Giolito.
1: <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Keaton, what do you think of the tiers? Anything you'd change?
2: No, I
0: think they're pretty good, and I don't mind. Uh, I guess I'll defend Giolito a bit. I don't mind him there in the tier three because I think once you get to that point, you're kind of taking a risk on some guys. But he's also shown the ability to be really good. So if you pair him with somebody like Preslow who Um, obviously is is pretty strong in pitching development, can probably unlock something there. I mean, I've been following Giolito way back when he was with the Nats, and they really kind of struggled with his development. The White Sox were able to unlock something a little bit in him, um, changing his arm angle and where he was standing on the mound. And so it feels like he's a guy that is like maybe one of those two tweaks away from regaining some of that. Uh, SP2, SP1. Ability, so I wouldn't mind taking a shot on him if you're feeling comfortable enough with, um, you know your your own pitching development and your plan for the guy, which I feel pretty good with. Breslow's track, track track record that he could probably find something uh, useful out of him.
1: Yeah, that was kind of my reasoning there with putting him in tier three. It's like it's really tough for me to look past the three years that he had from 2019 to 2021 where he was legitimately like in the upper half of, or I shouldn't even say upper half. He was like in the upper 20 starters in baseball. You yeah. probably make an argument. He was in the top 15 at least um, for those three years in terms of, you know, kind of everything innings results. Um, he's always struggled with giving up too many long balls, but yeah, I agree. He, he's, he's that big bodied pitcher with good stuff who, He's still only 29 at this point. So, yeah, I I think that's why I threw him in there. Um, Six foot six, too. I mean, he's just like he's a big guy who when you think about Luis Severino and the injuries that he's had, comparing those two, it scares the crap out of me. So, so Bob, would you legitimately take Severino over Giolito at this point?
2: I just think they're one and the same, and if Severino is going to be cheaper, I would take him. So before 2023, Severino's career ERA was 3.39, and his strikeout rate was 10 per nine. And I know that that has fallen off, but I don't see any more of a fall off there than I see with Giolito. So if they're going for different contracts, I would rather throw Severino into the mix. If you know, I mean, that's again, we're talking last resort type of guys down there, right? I want two better arms than that, but yeah, yeah I would say that, that they're similar.
1: I guess we're kind of polishing turds at that point. But right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> when it comes to smaller bodied pitchers with an injury history, it just scares the hell out of me. Um, yeah. And that
2: might just I be just my bias. I just think he, he could bias. be one of those that's a, that's a tweak away if we're talking about, you know, getting in the lab. And I think that he was in that like driveline group of names that I heard a week or two ago.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, when Severino was on, he was great. But uh not sure how we got on Severino in the first place. But uh... That's my fault. <laughs> no, it's all good, man. Um, so l- let's move on to the next question here. So uh, I believe that they need to add at least one arm from Tier 1, and preferably an arm from Tier 2. I think you could make an argument that if it's the right arm from Tier 3 coupled with a Tier 1 arm, that that would be okay. Um, let's start with you, Keaton. How do you assess that? Do you agree with my assessment on what they need to add, or do you feel like you know maybe just adding one of these guys might be fine? What What's your take?
0: No, I think they need more than one. I think they need two at least that they really can rely on. So, I mean, definitely one from Tier 1. And then I think I would be fine with any from Tier 2 or Tier 3. But they definitely need to come out of this either through free agency or with a trade with two more starting pitchers.
2: What do you think, Bob? I agree. I just think it's going to be easier said than done because there are so many teams and so many big market teams that are going to be looking for pitching. And if we're just talking about the free agent names that we know are available, these other trade candidates are rumored right now that elite to very good range tier contains Yamamoto, Montgomery, and Snell. And that's it. So yeah. the odds of getting two of them in free agent, first of all, I don't know that they're going to go. I feel like they'll go after one in free agency and one in, via trade whether it's one of these names or not just in terms of how much long-term money they're spending on pitchers in their 30s i feel like you know they'll give one five to seven year deal out and another one as a trade candidate that has a year or two left um but it's just you're gonna be battling this out with you know the yankees and the mets and the cubs i mean the cubs are on the same track that you are they think that you know they just made their big signing of Council and are flushed with money and ready to go. I mean, you're going to be battling them out and eight other teams that need pitching. And I just think it's going to be tough. So, yes, th- they need to be aggressive and they need to get one from each of these tiers or at least a tier one and a tier three. But we easily could be sitting here three or four weeks from now pissed off um, that they're going to have to go to. Plan C or Plan D, and it sounds like with Yamamoto that he's not going to make a decision at the winter meetings that that's going to come after the fact. So it seems like you got to come out of next week with one big name and not be risking getting shut out or have to go overpay for a stud pitcher.
1: Yeah, I agree with that assessment, and in particular, I agree with the idea that they should sign one and trade for one. Um, because I I do think this market is going to get pretty silly pretty quickly, especially for the top guys. I think Yamamoto is going to be real North of 200 million bucks with whatever his contract ends up being. And I also think that some of these names are a little bit limiting. Like there's no possible way that the Rays are trading glass now to the Red Sox, like if they trade him, it's going to be to a National League team. And one of the teams that's already been mentioned is the Ra- the uh, Reds, I should say, as, as a possible trade candidate. So like you can take that guy off the board. Um, But let's talk about the guys in Tier 1. Yamamoto, Montgomery, and Burns uh, being those three guys. Uh, which one of these do you each prefer that the Red Sox... Uh, go out and get from tier one? Um, who Who's your guy here, Bob?
2: Well, I, I hope they get Yamamoto. Um, that would be, you know, it might be different than who I think they're going to get. But, you know, just kind of the the fact that he's entering free agency at 25 years old, there's the possibility that he could get a 8-, 9-, 10-year deal or something crazy here. So they you know, it's gonna be interesting to see how far people are willing to go with the years, because how often do you see a pitcher at this age reach free agency? It doesn't really happen. So getting someone that's entering their prime coming off of the three equivalent Cy Young awards that that he's had in somebody that has just such a minuscule home run rate, you know, whether that'll translate over here, who knows? But it's like 0 point one per nine or something like that. Um, in Japan, and just the more film that you watch on him, he just has so many pitches and keeps the ball down, and has strikeouts, and just um, you know the innings counts. It just—I don't know—it's hard not to uh, to dream on that name at that age. Um, but any one of these three—if you told me a month from now between Yamamoto, Montgomery, and Burns that one of those is going to be wearing a Red Sox uniform next spring, I think that that is a success. So I just think it's essential that they get one of these names from this tier or someone that we don't know is available in that tier.
1: Yeah, I agree with both of those things. Keaton, what's your take on this tier? Who's your top guy?
0: Exact same as Bob Yamamoto would definitely be my top guy there. Control is amazing. Stuff is amazing. The fact you know that he's a free agent at his age, doesn't come around with especially with the the way that the international market is structured with the major leagues now. Um, just the opportunity to sign a guy that's twenty five is pretty rare, let alone a guy that's got this crazy potential. So yeah, he's definitely my number one. Obviously, they're gonna have the most competition. I would assume there yeah, for him. So it feels like um, they have to be super aggressive. The more I look at these names, the more Montgomery just sticks out as the guy that I feel like they're going to end up landing.
1: All right, so that leads into my next question, because I agree with both of you guys that Yamamoto is the guy who I'd want the most out of these. But um, who do you both think is the most likely name to end up with the Red Sox from this tier?
0: I think Montgomery.
1: Yeah, I do as well. I do too. That so that makes 3 of us and how much of that has to do with the fact that, you know, he's going to probably command less money than Yamamoto, almost certainly command less than Yamamoto. Um probably a smaller term as well given his age. And this crazy news story that just recently broke um Sean McAdam and Chris Catillo about like his wife is up here doing some sort of a medical residency and he's been working out at Boston college and is living here in the off season. And like, unlike some of the ridiculous Shohei Otani connections to Boston, this is like a real legitimate, actual reason to want to be here. So, you know, what, what are you each of your reasons for why you think it's most likely going to be Montgomery?
2: Well, first off, what better time to sell a free agent on the city, um, than just being in New England when it's getting really cold and dark. And maybe, you know, he's at a stoplight <laughs> and doesn't take a left right away to cut everyone off. And he gets called an asshole when the light turns green. And just really make he and, you know, him and his wife feel at home for the next five or six years. This is the time of year to bring Jordan Montgomery in. Spoken like a true hater of fall. <laughs> Winter. Yeah, it was Stolen really for aggressive. The first time man. today. <laughs> And I was walking around in Boston, thinking, <laughs> as I heard that news, man, Jordan Montgomery's just gonna love, love this scene, <laughs> walking through this wind tunnel.
1: Where's he from again? Is he from like Georgia or someplace hot? I don't
2: know. I feel, I feel like he's a check. southerner. Naturally. I have no naturally. idea.
1: Naturally. Um, as as somebody who fully embraces the New England fall life here, I feel like. Uh, like he's he's going to appreciate all the the charm i think i think he's going to be walking around boston he's going to see trinity church he's going to see the state house he's going to see the leaves you know he's going to take a trip down to plymouth plantation and see you mm. know, the original thanksgiving and uh you know it's 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 going to be he's going to fall in love what do you think keaton
0: I think he'll start to regret it the first time he tries to mark his parking spot with a chair and he gets thrown in the snowbank.
2: He's going to be living in Southie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, that's... He's going to be living on be the second floor guys, of a
1: three-decker um, right. after his $150 million contract.
2: Outside of Murphy's yeah. Law.
0: <laughs> so he's apparently from uh, South Carolina.
1: Okay.
2: All right. In all seriousness, I think that, you know, the fact, the, the reason that I was saying that they need to be aggressive next week is, you know, with, with Yamamoto potentially not being available next week, it sounds like it, that's not going to happen in the winter meetings. I think if they're going to be aggressive and if there is interest... And you're looking at someone who can get a year less, and maybe twenty or thirty million less than Noel. I don't know that he's going to get seven for one seventy. I think he'll get closer to six, one forty, something like that. Yeah, that um, sounds right. It's possible that you could get him on a five year deal. Um, you know, I mean, he's really like since we last talked about him, that was at the end of September, and a lot's changed. I mean, he. Shoved for a month straight and led his team to the World Series since we last talked about him. So, you know, could he get a five for one thirty-five for one forty? Where you know it's one fewer year there and a higher amount per year? It's possible, but I just feel like someone's going to give him a sixth year, and I think that might be something that Boston has to do to ensure that they, you know, unless the the trade market works out for them in some way next week, to leave with one arm.
1: Yeah, that's probably true. Um, let's move on to tier two here. Um, Bob, let's start with you. Who do you like the best from tier two, and who do you think is most likely to land with the Red Sox from tier two?
2: Well, I like Glassno now the best, but I would say he would be least likely. So that's, I just, I see, you know, no way that that happens within the division. So probably not worth talking about. I think Dylan Cease, you know, I know that the White Sox were demanding Brian Bayo back in any trade talks with them earlier in the season. I think that the, the White Sox will realize pretty quickly that they're not going to get someone coming back of that caliber with that number of years of control remaining. Um, so, you know, if that's a barrier, then I guess it's probably not going to work out for Cease. But somebody that has two years left and I think that Chicago is probably two years at least away from contending they're kind of a mess over there and it seems like the right time to trade him and you know he's not coming off of the 2.20 ERA season that he had the year before he's coming off the 4.58 ERA season and really it wasn't that much different you know the FIP was 310 the year before and it was 372 this past year you know He had a little uptick in the walk rate, um, but he wasn't that much different of a pitcher. Um, And I think that Cease is somebody that would pair pretty nicely with Montgomery. You know, uh, a right-hander to go with the left-hander, as well as more of a strikeout pitcher, um, with Montgomery being more of a kind of pitch-to-contact, ground-ball pitcher. And they both give you innings, and they have been reliable innings of you know, 165 to 185 for a few years now it would just be a, kind of love to see a strikeout pitcher that can give them um, certifiable innings like Cease and Montgomery could give them. I just think that that'd be a pretty good in a realistic pairing.
1: I love the idea of that pairing. Um, <clears throat> in particular, like flipping, if you're on baseball savant and looking at Dylan Cease's pitcher page, um, and flipping between 2022 and 2023, it's like night and day in terms of how much red is on his 2022 page and how much blue is on his 2023 page. Like If you just looked at his 2023 and you're looking at stuff like 23rd percentile for average exit velocity, 25th percentile for walks, 32 percentile for hard hit rate, yeah. it's pretty sketchy but i think that this is kind of the perfect dude for bresla you know this this is this is the bresla blueprint for a pitcher this is exactly what he says he wants still like great
2: spin rates and
1: yeah i mean just stuff is off the charts so if, if if uh there was ever a time to test it uh, to to try and maximize a guy like this, this is the this is the guy, and this is the age too. He's only twenty seven years old, and like you said, he's he's shown to be very durable as well. So I, I think that that's a really interesting name. Um, Keaton, what about you? I mean, how do you think about this tier? Who who do you think is most likely? Who is your favorite?
0: Uh, I wonder if Bieber in, here in this tier actually wouldn't be the the one that makes the most sense um because i think given cleveland's mo and they um they have a bunch of pitchers behind him that they can just kind of toss into the rotation so um i think this feels like the time where they are gonna trade bieber and there were rumors that the trade this past trade deadline the red sox and cleveland were um talking about a trade don't think it was for bieber but just in general talk and trade so they may have already kind of made contacts shown mutual interest in each other's players and then that may lead the red sox to be able to actually land bieber uh, given cleveland's rate for just churning out pitchers i think though that bob's right and i think cease is the one i'm the most interested in this tier um I just think since most of the people here in this tier are trade candidates, I think Bieber would be the easiest to obtain.
1: I think that's an excellent point. Um yeah. I I agree that Bieber is probably the most attainable guy in this tier because you're gonna have to you're not getting glass now, like Bob said. You're gonna have to give Blake Snell uncomfortable money and uncomfortable term for how reliable he is. And you're gonna to have to give Chicago a lot for Dylan Cease, whereas with Bieber, with the diminished stuff, you're still getting a guy who knows how to pitch. Like he doesn't need stuff to be impactful um, because of how he he pitches. So I agree that that's probably the most likely if if I was if I was guessing. But the idea of of Dylan Cease. Coupled with Breslow uh, is is pretty attractive to me,
2: Jake. It was you had said closer to the trade deadline that a Verdugo, Bieber trade would make sense, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it did. I I think you'd probably have to give up a little bit more, right. um, than than Verdugo to get Bieber, but I think it makes a ton of sense because of. Cleveland's inability to develop bats. I mean, they're pretty much the opposite of the Red Sox in terms of, you know. And that's the only thing is
2: like with the White Sox, they have no use for Verdugo with a year left because they're not going to try to compete this year. So you have to make a prospect trade, um, you know, unless you're dealing Bayo again, but you're probably going to have to make a prospect trade and give. For two years of Cease, you're going to have to give two or three, you know, different tier, but good prospects going that way. And I think you can center something around Verdugo. And I think that that's what they have to look at. If there's going to be a trade and that there are outfielders that are coming up through the system between Rafaela, and whether Abreu is a factor, or if they go out and they sign a right-handed outfield bat, that can you find a match where Verdugo is going out to a team that you know, has a little bit of extra pitching. Like, it, Bieber seems to make the most sense there, um, unless you're looking at some sort of deal with San Diego and you're trying to send back, a, you know, three or four names for Soto. I mean, that should be if you're shooting for the moon. But after that, I think Bieber makes sense.
1: Yeah, I also want to be adamant about the fact that, like, I'm not going to shy away from trading prospects for Dylan Cease with, yep. with two years left. Like, it, the only name that I'm really saying no thank you to is Roman Anthony, but anyone else for me is, is on the table. Where do you guys land with that? <sighs>
2: so, yeah, I mean, I was going to say that, that I feel that way about Soto, Um, where anybody but Anthony I would put on the table, and that includes Meyer, especially if we can get, you know, Haesung Kim back as well or something along those lines, and they get an infielder of the future going back their way. Um, You know, I feel like there is a path if you include Meyer to get Soto in, but you're saying you you would deal Meyer for Cease. I would deal Meyer straight up for Cease in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah, I think with two years. Yeah, um,
1: I, because I don't getting, disagree. You're getting ages twenty seven to twenty
2: eight. Those are really good seasons
1: for a power pitcher.
2: Yeah, Keen, what do you think? That's that's really interesting.
0: Yeah, I think I would say Anthony and Meyer are the ones that I would try not to deal for Seas Although you, you probably would have to include one of them. Uh, for Soto, I would trade anybody.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it is one freaking Soto. So, yeah. All right, let's move on to tier three and let's start with you, Keaton. Out of these names here, Imanga, Stroman, Giolito, Molly, Erod, or anyone else you want to add to your tier three. Um, who do you think's most likely and who do you like the most?
0: I love Marcus Stroman. Um, the past three or so seasons, he really changed who he was as a pitcher and just started kind of pitching to his strengths, and it super paid off and stopped trying to be like a power guy and striking everybody out and really started leaning on that nasty slider uh, and making people look like fools. Uh, and so I think he's, he's reached the point where um, he's an extremely strong option. Uh, he's not going to strike out a ton of guys, but he's also not going to walk a lot of guys. He's going to keep the ball on the ground, not give up homers. That um, is an extremely effective pitcher, especially in the American League East. So, I like Stroman the most. Out of all those, um, I don't think he's the most likely. Though I don't, I don't really know which one of these I think would be the most likely. It's
1: it's kind of a crapshoot. Uh, I agree.
0: Yeah,
1: I I think
2: Imanaga is most likely um, I just think he's interesting he has it seems like he's an afterthought because of the Yamamoto sweepstakes but if he'd come over in a different year I don't know like how far he's not the same kind of strikeout pitcher that Kodai Senga is but he might be in a similar tier if he had come you know kind of the top arm that was coming over it might be uh, we might be talking about him more than we are he has excellent command, throws from the left side, and you know. I guess if you got Montgomery, that wouldn't be a name that you'd wanna. It would be more of a Montgomery backup plan from the left side. I think the only issue with him is that he has some home run problems. But you know, if that's kind of in your th- number three, number four starter range that you're looking for, it's not. You know, if they if they get a top starter and that that's the other name they bring in, I wouldn't hate that.
1: You know what I would really like? Otani, Yamamoto, Imanaga. <laughs> just just bring Samurai Japan, you know, the 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 WBC championship team to Boston. The whole no. freaking team. It's fine. <laughs> that will that will play quite well.
2: Um, you could have you could have just stopped at Otani and I would have signed off on it, but sure <laughs> bring all of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, it,
1: i I also am most interested in Imanaga and thank you for finally uh saying that the right way. I've been <laughs> like garbling it all night. It's a um, struggle. Yeah, it, it it is. And I'm kinda like I'm coming down with a cold right now, so I keep like having a cough stuff up in between you guys talking. That's um great. Yeah, it's not great. But um the the name who I think is least likely is actually Erod. I know that that's been floated a lot. I just think that Korra probably does not want to manage Erod again, and I, I, I have trouble believing that uh, Erod wants to come back here. I would be shocked
2: at a, an Erod reunion. Yeah, I, I don't see it happening. There's just a, it was a roller coaster ride here, and it has been since he left, and some of that. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons for it, but just kind of always feels like it's a roller coaster, on and off the field. All right, so for tier four,
1: Waka Lorenzen, Ryu Paxton, Manaya, and I'm going to add on Severino here. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you guys to stump for one of those names um, as as the guy you want to advocate for for a tier four option. Let's start with you,
2: Bob. Um, I would say bringing James Paxton back would be the top one there. I mean, if, I'm just kind of sorting by first half and second half, and he definitely hit a wall down the stretch, but I think it's also understandable why he did because he hadn't pitched in three years, so it shouldn't have been a huge surprise to anybody. But in the first half, you know in the in those first 8 starts 42 innings he had a 32% um, strikeout rate and a 6.5% walk rate so it was 25.3 strikeout minus walk he had a 1.02 whip um and he was the velocity was there and it's just you know yeah he's 34 35 we're talking about the bottom tier here we saw what James Paxton can be um so out of that group i just saw more upside from him when he was locked in last year than I would expect from anybody else in there. But yeah, I mean, none of them excite me too much.
1: That is very fair. He's, he's usually good when he's on the mound. Um, What about you, Keaton?
0: I was going to say the exact same thing and go with Paxton because it was pretty clear after the trade deadline, he had just, he did his max as very clearly building up strength and stamina to go through an entire season. Um, but when he was on, it was crazy good. So I'll go somewhere else. Uh, although I do agree with Bob and I'll say, um, Hyunjin Ryu.
1: Oh, you bastard.
0: <laughs> yeah. There's um, like five names here. <laughs> I know <laughs> they're not like all, Super exciting. It was I can't believe
1: you didn't go with Waka. This is so disappointing to me. I thought Waka? you loved Waka.
0: No. Who am thinking, I thinking?
1: of Waka Faka Flame. With
0: Shelby <laughs> Miller?
1: I don't know. I just thought you fell in love with Waka's change up while he was here. No. <laughs> All right. Go ahead. Go ahead.
0: Uh yeah, Henjin Ryu. Thirty six years old, so he's up there, but he was coming off of a, a most of the season where he missed uh missed time. But when he came back, he was he looked pretty strong. Um and is one of those guys I think that you can chalk up to is like a reliable late thirties starter where he can go pump out some innings. He's not gonna blow you away with any strikeouts, but again, he's not gonna walk anybody um the past few seasons, it looks like he's started to, to struggle with the homers, but um, I think that's probably attributed to the, the strikeouts being down and, and homers going up. But uh, the stuff is still there to be really effective over an entire season and and put uh, a healthy year or two together here in his late 30s. That I think he'd be kind of like a nice stabilizing force to the, the rotation, um, especially if they're going after uh, – if they follow your plan, Jake, and they're going after all these power guys – he could be kind of that steady force there at like the SP 4 that kind of just keeps everything in line.
1: I'm rubbing off on you too much, man. Yeah. That's, that's, that's who I was thinking. And for the exact same reasons. So we're, uh, apparently in episode 300, we've achieved the mind meld Keaton. Um, that's exactly where, where my head was at as well. So I, I love the Hunjin Ryu type guy. He's a real yeah. pitcher. Um, Alright, time for some predictions before we move on to the hitting side of things. Bob, who
2: do they end up with? I am going to stick with Montgomery and Cease. Alright, yeah. Keaton.
0: Oh. Montgomery and Bieber.
2: Yeah.
1: Alright. I will go... Montgomery and cease. I, I don't want to pick the same <laughs> thing, but that's kind of what I think.
0: Um, There's like a couple names to pick from in each tier.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, it's
0: bound to be some overlap. Well, let me throw this at you then, Jake. Yeah. Would you give a Paxton-like deal to Brandon Woodruff, and where would you plop him in these tiers?
1: I would. I would put him in tier three only because shoulders scare the hell out of me. And I don't think you get anything from him until probably the second half of the second year of the deal.
2: Yeah, the injury that he has does not have a good success rate of even when players return of, of even being close to what they were before that, which sucks because I've said Woodruff is maybe my favorite, you know, pitcher in the league, top three favorite pitchers in the league. I love watching Woodruff pitch, but yeah, I mean, shoulders, just that shoulder injury even compared to Tommy John is just, you know, way higher success rate for the elbow.
1: Yep, absolutely. So let's move on to second base. I think this is definitely the uh, highest priority after pitching uh, for the Red Sox. They already made one move, Craig Breslow's first move here. Uh, Luis Urias to Seattle for reliever Isaiah Campbell, who's a really intriguing reliever. Uh, I broke second baseman into tears as well. The free agent market for second baseman is pretty bad. So my tier one consists of all trade candidates. Uh, Ha-Sung Kim uh, is in tier one. Brandon Drury in tier one. Jonathan India and Jorge Polanco. All four of those guys are right-handed bats. All four of them may be available. Uh, It seems like Polanco and India certainly are. Drury and Kim could potentially be. Um, tier two, I have the three free agents, Whit Merrifield, Ahmed Rosario, and Tim Anderson. And in tier three, I have Elvis Andrus and Gene Segura. So my question to you, and let's start with you, Keaton, is what should they do here at second base? How should they approach this position? Does it need to be a right-hander uh, in particular?
0: Um. It- Probably does. And I think, um, I think they got to go trade here just because the free agent market really isn't that great, uh, as you alluded to. And Hassan Kim is the name that I brought up in our initial, uh, end of year pod as a, a, as a target for second base. I think that would be my number one target. Um, he had an awesome year. He's going into his age 28 season. Um, really kind of elevated himself he plays stellar elite defense uh, and really picked up the offense this past season had the most homers in his uh, major league season that he's ever had Uh, and then also just added an ass ton of steals so that was really great to see too so it seems like he's still getting better and particularly he's one of the better defensive options out there at the position even if he's only potentially available Um, he's going to be one of the ones that plays the best defense for you, and just yeah, I don't even think he needs to repeat offensively what he did last year for him to be a major upgrade for this roster. Uh, mainly just focusing on the defense. So I feel like whatever he adds offensively would be the cherry on top to just having a a stable middle infield.
1: If he came here though, Keaton, Mm -hmm. let's just say he is available, and uh, he's the one I'm most kind of unsure about being available because the Padres seem like they still want to compete. Um, he automatically has to play shortstop, right? Like he is infinitely better as a shortstop than Trevor story. So does that shift story over if you, if you get Kim over to second pace?
0: No. I. What makes you say that?
1: Just cause Kim is, an elite fielder, you know, like I I feel like one of the things we saw from story was sure. Like the range is still there with him, but the arm, even though it's better than it was when he went down with the surgery, it's still in the lower, you know, bottom fourth of the league in terms of arm strength from that position. So I just, I, I feel like a move still makes sense for
0: him. Um, I mean, Story was second on the Red Sox in defensive runs saved mm-hmm. in only 37 games, oh, which yeah. probably says something more miles. about the team defense as a whole than it does on Trevor Story's individual skills. Um, but I still think Story's pretty darn serviceable at short. So I, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't. I really wouldn't have a, an issue either way who was playing short and who was playing second because I think you would then have an elite middle infield whatever way you sliced it but I don't think it's necessarily obvious that you'd have to move story to second with that move
1: that's fair that's fair Bob who's your favorite out of these and what's your take on uh Hasan Kim and the defense thing
2: yeah I, I think that you guys are on something with Kim I just don't know that he's the most likely guy that San Diego trades just because he's got kind of a Team friendly eight million dollars and they're trying to shed salary and I don't know if that's the first guy that they would go for to do that, but at the same time it just depends on what you're giving back. I don't think it's unreasonable. I think it's a great target. Um I'll just go another direction. You know, with India and Polanco, those are interesting names offensively, and India seems like a good Bilo for some team. I just don't think he fits in Boston because of the defensive struggles that he has. Um, And I just don't think you can add another year of a subpar defensive second baseman and put India there with everything else that's going on. And, you know, another year with all their fips being one run (laughs) less than the ERA or anything like that. So I just, India's a good trade target, but I just don't know if he fits in Boston I still would go with Whit Merrifield and go the free agent route um, for a couple of reasons. I just think, as I mentioned on one of our earlier pods, that he provides just stability and health at a position where they've had none over the last couple of years, that he's gone out and played 162 games year after year. Um, And even though he's not hitting the ball that hard, uh, he's still fairly productive you know he had 272 average he stole 26 bases and he was plus 4 outs above average defensively at second base and i just don't think that he'll command a ton of money in free agency i think you could get him on a one year deal maybe two um at like a lesser amount but i just think that he's a he's a good player to bridge the gap um that you can get in free agency if you're making a trade for a pitcher and like I said, durability, health, defense, speed. I just think those are things that the team needs generally. And for one year, I'm fine with Whit Merrifield, even though I know it's not the the flashiest pick and he's certainly declining. But I think he's got enough left for one year.
1: There's been plenty of love thrown around at Whit Merrifield, um, so you're definitely not alone on that take. He has He's been. He's the alone. only
2: second baseman name that is available as a free agent. So it's like, who else? Yeah. Who else could you possibly write about there? You know, when you're coming up with names. Yeah, Amir mean, Rosario. I mean,
1: like, yeah, those are the other guys, like the guys who are converting from shortstop, who are, yeah, who are the other ones. My take. That's a- the
2: same thing defensively. Is like amid Rosario was. He might have been last in in the infield and in, in uh, outs above average sorry to cut you off. Yeah, no worries. Um, My take on second
1: base is I also, I feel like you need to go for a trade candidate. Um, I think it's most likely that out of all the trade candidates, um, the Red Sox go after Brandon Drury from the Angels, because it seems like they're in a bit of a reset. I think Verdugo makes some sense there as a Change of scenery guy. Um, I think a Verdugo for Drury swap might make a lot of sense, um, especially if you're going to go after Cease instead. That's going to be a prospect-heavy deal, not one where you're going to be probably putting uh, Verdugo in that. It doesn't really make any sense for Chicago, as you said. Um, And I like Brandon Drury because he's a right-handed bat. He plays really good defense. His range is 89th percentile, outs above average. A really good fielding run value, and he barrels the ball and hits the ball hard. So, uh, twenty six home runs last year, twenty eight home runs in twenty twenty two. I like the idea of adding some thump, right handed thump to this lineup with some good defense. So, um, I'm excited about that name. Um, overall, the the way that I kind of feel about this position is if they don't get, you know, one of those top trade candidate names from that. The, the tier one um, I would probably prefer that they just kind of run with what they have with, which is, you know, the Pablo Reyes and Manuel Valdez thing uh, rather than spending like 10 million bucks or whatever it's going to take for Whit Merrifield. Um, I, I know you feel differently about that, Bob, but how do you feel about that Keaton? What would you do if you miss out on the tier one guys?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose I wouldn't want to try and reach at that position because it it falls off quite quickly. So I feel like running with what you have wouldn't be that much of a downgrade over missing out on like Rosario or Anderson. I would even put Merrifield at like a tier one and a half. There, I feel like he's closer to tier one than two. But I think that's that's also given like. (laughs) staring at those names kind of has that effect on you
2: yeah. it's not I, great you can make Trying an argument Elvis Anders
1: I, I think you you can make an argument with Maryfield is a better fit for the Red Sox than India or Polanco based on like what they need if if we're kind of all in agreement that what they need to prioritize is stability and defensive prowess, then certainly I think you could make that argument. Yeah. All right. Um, prediction time on second base. Who did they end up with there? Let's start with you, Bob.
2: Whit Merrifield, just like September. All right. Same answer. Keaton, who you got?
0: I really want to say Kim, but I feel like it's going to be nobody.
1: Okay. It's a good prediction, too. I mean, I, I don't think it's unlikely that they don't do anything there. I'm going to say Drury just because I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, and so it'll probably not happen. All right. Lastly, last position that we want to talk about today is right-handed power bat, either someone in the outfield or DH. It seems like the Verdugo trade is probably going to happen. Uh, Breslow has already pointed out that the team – is pretty lefty heavy and needs to balance that out. So I decided to take a few guys who are free agents and a few guys who are um, trade candidates potentially and rank them. So tier one here, I have Mitch Garver, Jorge Soler, Justin Turner, Marcelo Zuno, Teoscar Hernandez. Tier two, I have just two names, Lourdes Gurriel and Nick Castellanos. Uh, tier three, I have Adam Duvall, and J.D. Martinez, and then Keaton, I gave you your own tier with uh, Hunter Renfro. Out of all those names, Castellanos and Marcel Ozuna are the trade candidates. The rest are free agents. Let's start with you, Keaton. Out of all these names, uh, who do you like the most as a right-handed power bat for this team?
0: Uh, I mean... Nick Cassianos would be the one that I like the most, but I think he's probably the least likely one because he's a trade candidate and two because, uh, he obviously helps the Phillies out and they're still trying to win games. So I feel like they're not super keen to let him go. Though I would appreciate him the most. Um, and then, I mean, naturally Hunter Renfro would also be one who, by the way, over the last three seasons, since the start of the 2021 season, Lee is in the 10th in home runs among all outfielders. Dude hits bombs, and we've seen him play pretty decent defense here with the Red Sox already. I'm just saying, reunion would be nice.
1: I'm looking at Renfro's uh, checks a lot of box page from 2023.
0: Well, don't do that, just listen <laughs> to me.
1: It's the bluest of blue pages we've ever seen. <laughs> And there's some real dark blue. Uh, sweet Spot, 8th percentile. X-Woba, 11th percentile. X-Slug, 16th percentile. Fielding run value, 23rd percentile. Woof. Do we want
2: to leave out the fact that he was outright released in the second half of the season? <laughs> How uh, dare
0: you speak the absolute uh, truth at me? By the
2: Cincinnati Reds. <laughs>
0: So it was a a down year. Haven't you had a down year, Bob?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I can speak to a couple. I just just wanted, I thought that was the elephant in the room that he was outright released. I'm sorry. Just makes it Um, all the easier to sign him. (laughs) Let's talk about my down years next. (laughs) Um. All right. So my name would be Jorge Soler to go for in kind of tier one that you all outlined there. But I do agree with Keaton about Nick Castellanos. I mean, he has three years and 60 million left on the contract and, you know, his 2021 was excellent before he was a free agent and then he had a down year, but then he kind of had a sneaky bounce back year in 2023. Um, you know, hitting 29 homers and 106 RBIs. Maybe it wasn't that sneaky and hitting 272. So I don't know if he's available. I think that's interesting. It's just that he has always played right field and he plays a subpar right field. And I don't know how well that would fit in Fenway or whether he can play left because he hasn't really played left a whole lot at all. So, you know, but that's one name to keep in mind. But I would go with Soler. I think that he would need probably three years Um, so Justin Turner is you know, bringing him back is another name that I would be totally fine with. So I'd say Soler, Turner, Castellanos, I'd be good with any of those. Um, you know, with with Soler, maybe you can get him for two, but I just feel like someone's going to go three years with what his power numbers have been like. Um, in over the last three seasons, he's just had some excellent power numbers and he was very good. In a contract year last year hitting 36 more you know i guess the other year was 2019 that he had 48 he's not going to probably get back to that but i just think he would kind of solidify the and break up all the left-handed hitters um pretty well but if they if justin turner as they say enjoyed his time in boston and it's just that he's 39 so that's the only thing with him but i would be totally fine with a reunion there
1: yeah, I like Turner a lot, um, but my favorite name from this group, surprisingly, and it wasn't when I started looking into these guys, but uh, was Mitch Garver. And let me uh, talk about Mitch Garver here for a second. Another member of the World Series champion, Texas Rangers. Um, he's super patient. He doesn't chase at all, he walks a lot, he hits for power. Um, my idea that kind of attracted me to the Mitch Garver thing was that you could. Pretty much just kick uh, Reese McGuire to the curb or trade him for, you know, bag of balls uh, and play Mitch Garver as your backup uh, catcher. Somebody who really serves mostly as a DH um, and kind of rotate in him, uh, him into different positions, whether that's DH or, you know, first base when, when needs a break or whatever, um, you know, just looking at some of the numbers, 89th percentile ex you know, 83rd percentile barrel rate, 98th percentile and chase rate. That was super impressive last year. Walks a ton. Um, I really liked that name. I don't think it's likely that they end up with Mitch Garver. He is 32. I think he probably only commands a couple of years. Um, and if I was him, I'd probably just try and go back to Texas next year, Um, I would say the most likely name of all of these is Turner, but if it was me, I would prefer Jorge Soler over uh, Justin Turner for next year. He's got crazy power, as you said, Bob, walks a lot, Uh, excellent chase rate as well, doesn't really chase, uh, and I think that's really important in today's game, so... That would kind of be the way that I would go. Uh, and also, I think Turner's age just, it's got to fall off a cliff at some point. And, uh, you know, could be any time.
2: So what, Turner had 182 runs in RBIs combined and hit 276. It's just a really, I don't know.
0: He was a beast. Almost
2: underrated season that he had uh, in playing the last two months like without functioning feet. Yeah. interesting. He was not on my radar. Um, it was... Uh, you know, when you, you had him at the top there, I looked at him a little bit. I, You know, just he, he does have some injury concerns, but you're right. And you had a layup joke. You said something about Reese McGuire and a bag of balls, but... <laughs> ship
1: sailed. Um, so do you guys want to make some predictions on who they end up with here
2: I'll say Turner
0: yeah I think I'll say Turner as well
1: alright for the sake of being different I'll go Jorge Soler for this one alright um, let's move on to questions We have our first question is from Mark on Gmail, and he says, if you guys were betting on it, what is the future of Nick York? Do you think the team is going to rely on him to be the next guy at second base, or does he get traded with all the prospect depth in the middle infield? Thanks. Um, Let's go to you for this one, Keaton. What do you think happens with Mr. York? I would
0: say 60% chance he is traded. 40% 40% chance he's
2: the next guy. All right. What do you think, Bob? Uh, I mean, there's the possibility that he stays and fizzles out, I guess, too. So I, I would agree that it's about 40% that he's the next guy, maybe 50. I He's 21, and he was one of the youngest hitters at Double A as a 21-year-old last year, and he kind of continued. I know that the 22 season, right, when he was in high A, was kind of an injury-filled year and a down year. But other than that, he's mostly done what he's supposed to do at all the respective levels while being young for those levels. He'll be 22. I'm sure he'll make it to A at some point this year. I don't know. I, I just think that he's become an afterthought because... He was drafted a few years ago now and has kind of hovered in that, like, 6 to 10 range of prospect rankings and stayed pretty steady with similar numbers in the power and speed department each year. But I don't know. I mean, I think he's just kind of—I think he still has a decent shot to be the guy, and he's just not talked about a whole lot. But I also, for that reason, could see him involved in a trade— where he's not in your top tier, but he's someone that would be, you know, someone that you could throw into a trade for for a pitcher and isn't as devastating as an Anthony or a Meyer or a Teal.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I'm going to be oddly specific here. I think Nick York's going to be part of the Dylan Cease trade that they make. I think he ends up being the second piece in that deal. I think it's going to be Sedan Rafaela. Uh, Nick York, Luis Perales, and Hunter Dobbins for Dylan Cease. Dang. Quite a haul, um, but not giving up any of your tip-top names. Our next question is from Gavin Blackburn. He says, with Sonny Gray setting the the market high for pitching, uh, who do you think the Red Sox end up with? Uh, We already uh, went into that in quite a bit of detail, so thank you for the question, Gavin. Our next one is from... The surfing guy, and he says, What, if anything, can MLB do about this painful off-season pace? I know the union would not approve prove a deadline, so what would you guys suggest? Um, Bob, any ideas for this one?
2: A, a two-month lockout in the middle of it so <laughs> that uh, there can be a wild race to getting everything done before December 1st. That was the only year that it was exciting right was the lockout year yeah Yeah. because everyone realized that you know it was either now or you had to wait till probably march um i know it's i i don't have any good ideas for this It, it it's so much different than you know the other sports where there's just i don't know do you introduce some sort of like tampering period or something like that like they have elsewhere where you can kind of start to negotiate and then everything happens at midnight on the first night and there's a trickle down from there i don't even know if that would work there just seems to be a different dynamic in baseball you know you could change the the date that that free agency starts to coincide with the winter meetings or something along those lines but yeah i mean this is isn't fun just Waiting around, waiting for the first uh, domino to fall.
1: I was going to say, this is baseball. There is no clock, but now there is a clock. <laughs> yeah. Yep. True.
0: I was yeah. going to say, I, maybe I'm just used to it now, but this offseason hasn't felt super slow to me yet. Yeah, you're just used to it. Well, that's a bummer. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they could uh, do the the uh, What they need to do earlier is the awards... Waiting for the second half of November yeah. to find uh, out who the MVP and Cy Young are is preposterous.
1: It's yeah. crazy. Baseball still operates in many ways like it's the only game in town that matters, yeah. and it's Everyone's very much college not football. Yeah, it's like it's it's very much not the case. Uh, Mike Toomey has the next one. He says this is a weird one. Would you consider taking on Chris Bryant if he came with a prospect and a ton of money? I think I would think about it. I absolutely would not think about it. Uh, I don't want Chris Bryant on this team. What do you think, Keaton?
0: I think Amador is the only prospect that I would really want. They're not really like prospect flush, uh, but he looks like a very, very good baseball player, and so I, I don't think they would, they're going to part with him.
2: What do you think, Bob? Yeah, I, I'm trying to think of worse contracts than Chris Bryant. To be uh, saddled with, you know, Anthony Rendon.
0: I mean, they did completely buy out Arenado, which was extremely dumb. Steven so, Strasburg. I mean, if you're... Oh, that's a good one. <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean, it's... If they're giving you anymore.
0: Brian for free, would you do it? If they do a full buyout like Arenado?
2: Right, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. it's got to be... <laughs> yeah. Well, they're not going to do this with five years left. They're They're, they're just going to... They operate differently than everybody else, anyways. Yeah. Oh, he was just awful, and he kept going back onto the DL. Hit two thirty three. Yeah, I don't know. I just don't see it. I mean, what a uh, he got that ring and got free agency and got out of Chicago, and he's just gonna kind of uh, fade off and make a paycheck. And I don't know. I I can't see any scenario where he gets to an Arenado level again.
1: I I think Chris Bryant's best career move right now is to. Join Hendrik Lundquist and uh start a modeling agency of like Ooh. past players because uh Chris Bryant has those those blue eyes. He's he's a classically handsome dude. I feel like uh he and he and Mr. Lundquist could uh did could do some things what in about, the
2: fashion world. What about Vern Lundquist? Uh
1: probably less so. Less yeah. so, yeah. Okay. Uh, Our last one is from Jeff Wax with a uh, somewhat dickish question, but he says, at podcasting school, are you taught the words, um, like, you know what I mean? Actually, honestly, it is what it is at the end of the day, or is this simply innate? Actually, yes.
0: Honestly, day one of podcasting school, they teach you to work in as many ahs and ums as possible. You know what I mean that way it feels authentic conversational but at the end of the day we're just three dudes talking about the Red Sox so it is what it is well done
1: all right well that has been our show today if you'd like to follow us on Twitter you should Uh, you follow Bob at Bob Osgood 15 follow Keaton at the Spoken Keats follow myself at at Dev Jake Uh, subscribe to the show uh, if you aren't already doing so Monsters of Sox You'll get this show and the other shows on our network. And uh, we'll be back in your eardrum soon, hopefully with some news of some big pitching signings. Thank you guys for sticking with us along the way. 300 episodes down, 300 more to go. Perhaps, I hope so, and we'll be with you again soon. Bye now.